Hello and welcome to another great episode of the Leaders Sport Business Podcast. My name is James and I'm the Editorial Director here at Leaders and with me as ever is David Cushnan, my great good colleague and Content Director here at Leaders. David, how are you? I'm well. Well, it's been absolutely fraught, hasn't it? We have just, uh, you know, we schedule in, a, a, you know, a simple recording slot each week for this podcast yeah. and the whole thing has been thrown into chaos by... Toaster fire. A fire alarm. Well, we're not sure. It smelled like... It, it, it was. E- it smelled like either a stroke or a toaster to fire it has been uh, yes everybody is safe that's yeah. the good thing but we have been uh dis- you know dispatched outside for 15 it, minutes um and- we've got fiona harold the commercial director of the ladies european tour joining us we have just recorded that segment uh and we were disturbed by a fire alarm um and we're going to be talking about all the latest uh, big themes in the sports industry with her as well as what's going on in golf of course but david mm. what's new with you well, uh, lots happening. Uh, first things first, uh, we are um, what are we in doing? full thrust, really, in terms of uh, planning now for Force, mm-hmm. our uh, big event in New York in May. Uh, more details on the website. Uh, I am getting to that stage. I think I touched on this last week. Yes. I was sort of knee deep in calls okay. uh, about You've got uh, one coming this. up, haven't you? Yeah. Call with a Universal Music Group in a moment. We've also had some good chats uh, over the past few days with the likes of, of Disney. So lots of ideas flowing at this stage and uh, we'll bring you news hopefully very soon of uh, the first batch of speakers for the big event in New York City. Yes, indeed. And I am in the thick of um, planning, doing our bit at least for an event that we are helping out on in Macau in China at the end of February. Um, the, I think the 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 first speakers are going to be announced formally a little bit later this week, but I can tell you the lineup is absolutely astounding. This event, it's a new event um, being held in Macau to kind of um, delve into China's re-emergence on the sporting, global sporting scene. If I say to you, Dwayne Wade, the basketball player? I would say uh, that sounds exciting. I would say potentially confirmed. Uh, if I say to you, Joe Sai, the Alibaba co-founder and Brooklyn Nets owner. I, I would say no way. I would say potentially confirmed. Uh, and then also the likes of Leaning, Yao Ming, a whole host of Chinese uh, sporting bigwigs we are talking to and potentially confirmed. Let's see. Um, it's going to be a, a hell of an event. If you have got, honestly, if you are a especially if you are a European um, sporting rights holder um, or work for a European sporting rights holder, you have any interest in China, please do get in touch because um, we are in the privileged position of being able to bring over a small uh, and senior batch of people to this event, and it is going to be something special, let me tell you. Good stuff. Fiona Harold coming up. Wait, 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 oh. wait. I wish to tell you one other Go thing. On. Actually, on. two other things. I, I went to the jockey club yesterday. I had a meeting at the jockey club. Yeah. And I went for I think one of the best lunches I've ever had uh, at a Malaysian not restaurant. this Jockey again. club have just, uh, not with the, I just, you know, jockey club just moved offices in London uh, to Lamb's Conduit Street. And there is a fantastic little Malaysian place. I think it's called um, Dapur. Uh, and and it is incredible. And uh, uh, more restaurant recommendations to come. David, we've got one minute. Uh, happy 40th birthday. 
I've got you a present. There oh, you go. thanks, mate. Yeah, you, yeah. Better, you better unwrap that. Let me unwrap that. With... Oh, it's well wrapped, isn't it? Let me unwrap it in a sound so effect th- style. My three-year-old daughter wrapped that. So I'm saying it's very well wrapped. It wasn't, it wasn't a criticism at all. Yeah. This is very kind of you, Jim. Yeah, very that was supposed to come actually on your birthday, but oh, it's from Fanatics, so I've obviously it was late. Received a woolly Olympic hat, which I will uh, show off perhaps in the promo for this podcast. Uh, thank you very much, James. That's very, very kind. Fiona Harold coming up. Uh, great chat with her. But first, the news. Oh, that's right. Um, how about you turn around this way and I'll turn around that way. And together, David, will have the full 360 covered. This is 180 Seconds of Sports Biz. And hold the front page. Netflix is officially in the live sports rights game. The streamer has signed a 10-year deal to broadcast WWE's flagship Raw programming. The deal is reportedly worth more than $5 billion. It was pieced together by the team at Endeavour-owned TKO, the company established to house both WWE and UFC, and reinforces WWE's position as the boldest and most creative of rights holders. When it comes to media strategy, following on from the move to own its own streaming platform, WWE Network in 2014, then the pivot back to a network deal in 2021 that saw key WWE programming land on NBC's Peacock to Tuesday's groundbreaking Netflix agreement to Manchester, where Omar Barada has been named as the next CEO of Manchester United. Barada is currently the Chief Football Operations Officer at Manchester City and has been with United's crosstown rival since 2011. He oversees football operations across City Football Group's 11 clubs worldwide and is part of the former FC Barcelona contingent at CFG. His start date is as yet unconfirmed and Patrick Stewart will remain as interim CEO at United where the new Ineos ownership is beginning to make an impact. Sticking with switching allegiances, Tiger Woods will begin a new Aperol relationship with TaylorMade following the announcement earlier this month that Woods and Nike had gone their separate ways after a 27-year sponsor partnership. Woods first signed a $40 million five-year deal with Nike upon turning professional as a 20-year-old back in 1996. He signed multiple extensions worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Woods and TaylorMade, though, will now launch a bespoke brand together. Saudi Arabia's investment into sport took another two steps forward this week with the announcement of deals with World Snooker and Alejandro Agag's group of e-racing competitions. In an expansion of Barry Hearn's matrim sport relationship with Saudi Arabia, World Snooker has announced the first TV event in the kingdom. Sponsored by and held within Riyadh season, the new Riyadh season World Masters of Snooker will feature the top eight players in the world, a $1 million prize pool and an extra Riyadh season ball potable on completing a maximum break. Agag's Formula E lands in Saudi Arabia for races in Daria this weekend. Following swiftly on from that will be the first event in his new E1 championship for electric powerboats in Jeddah. Later in February, Jeddah is also staging the latest round of the Extreme E off-road championship that Agag founded. No surprise then that he's this week formalised a wide-ranging multi-year sponsorship and investment package from the Saudi Public Investment Fund covering all three electric series under the new Electric 360 banner. And elsewhere, MLS side LAFC have expanded their multi-club ownership portfolio by taking a 90% stake in Swiss side Grasshoppers, which had been owned by Chinese group Fosun, and the Tata Group has renewed its title sponsorship of the IPL in a five-year deal worth a reported $300 million. And that is 180 Seconds of Sports Biz.
Okay, James, let's introduce our guest, shall we? Yes, um, here she is. It's Fiona Harold, the commercial director of the Ladies' European Tour. Um, Fiona, was it exciting to have the fire alarm just now? Very exciting. How many sports industry fire alarms have you experienced? Because I always think it's a treat to go to someone else's office and then, you know, go through their fire protocols. Absolute treat. Yeah. I've only ever had um, fire drills, standard fire drills. So yeah. we were in and out within two minutes. And uh, yeah, yeah and the, good and way to kick off. Yeah, great way to kick off. You really understand the ombre-runs, I think, don't you? And just for the record, I think everybody performed in a very... Uh, safety first way during the, during the entire process i yeah. was going to say laura mcqueen excellent fire marshalling there yeah. nice chat on the way down she's, you know what, she's a had... relatively recent fire warden actually she's added that to her responsibilities i missed the email i think um announcing that first i knew about it she was wearing the high-vis vest yeah was and it in her 2024 objectives are. for the year to it, take it, on a new role do you know what it, it may it well have been might be yeah expand your portfolio um, fiona it's the off season for you ladies european tour we're not playing 2024 season just yet Presumably, you're having a lovely, peaceful, restful holiday, right? Swanning around, doing not much. I wish. Mm. You should know, James, sport yeah. never stops. Indeed. Um, yes, we're in the thick of pre-season planning, as well as trying to just get everything over the line, which was uh, a, a lag pre-Christmas. Um, so we are launching the season officially on Thursday yes. with a launch event in central London uh, with all of our key stakeholders across our tournament promoters, commercial partners, industry partners. And uh, we kick off uh, down in Kenya in a couple of weeks' time. Fabulous. So, busy, busy. I have made a note here, uh, Fiona, correct me if I'm wrong, 31 events, 20 countries, 34 million euros in prize money. Very good, that, yes. Uh, that sounds like a lot, and it's the most international tour season yet? Yes, correct. So that's all of our events across the calendar, which the LET players' membership are involved in. So whether it's um, LET fully owned events versus co-sanctioned events such as the majors. We've also got the Olympic Games in this year um, and another Solheim Cup, which is really exciting off the back of, of last year in Europe. So uh, we're at uh, pretty much consistent with the last couple of years in terms of tournaments. Keep on driving up those purses, which is you know a key focus for us to keep the prize money going. And um, yes, very much positioned ourselves as a global tour, hitting that fifth con continent this year by heading back to Australia. Good stuff. Uh, we're going to touch on a lot of that in a bit more detail uh, shortly. Uh, but James, should we get into a couple of the stories in a bit more depth that yeah, we just covered? Ones. Some big ones this week. Well, and where do you want to start? Do you want to go the Saudi route or do you want to go the big breaking news from Netflix route? Well, I think because we've got Fiona here and um, the Ladies European Tour have been involved in Saudi um, and with Saudi entities for a number of years. We should probably start there, shouldn't we? Um, lots going on. Indeed. Uh, so it's 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 almost a weekly feature of the podcast now, what's going on in Saudi, what's been announced by Saudi in the last week, as mentioned, a new world snooker tournament happening in uh, Riyadh as part of Riyadh season, as part of the continuing and growing relationship between uh, Saudi Arabia and Matchroom Sport, which of course also includes a heck of a lot of boxing. Uh, actually, Eddie Hearn from Matchroom Boxing and uh, his big rival, Frank Warren from Queensbury Promotions, have also agreed a head-to-head -head show, five fighters from each stable, um, which will also be in Riyadh. Uh, so there's a lot going on there. There's also Formula E happening in Saudi Arabia this weekend. And as mentioned, Alejandro Agag has done a deal with the Public Investment Fund, a big sort of sponsorship partnership 
There's elements of education, uh, showcasing uh, electric power um, under the Electric 360 banner. And that's a, uh, a deal that encompasses, uh, as we talked about, Extreme E, the off-road series, E1, which is the new electric powerboat racing series, which launches in just over a week's time in Jeddah. And of course, Formula E, which has been around for a while now. So uh, lots going on. And um, well, again, sort of yet more evidence of the ambition being shown by Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. the commitment financially, uh, but also just the breadth of events and deals and partnerships that are being struck. Yeah. Um, at the snooker thing, I think is really interesting um, because uh, I'm not sure about the popularity of snooker in Saudi Arabia. I don't know. Have you been, you've been to Saudi Arabia, right? I yeah. have, yeah. Just once to Jeddah, heading did, out did, in a couple of weeks to Did you go to some of the snooker clubs out there? Or? Uh, not, not in the short trip I was there, but maybe I should next time. Yeah. But I, I'm just really... So this snooker deal, right, where it's the first TV event in Saudi Arabia in snooker, a $1 million prize fund, that's big money in snooker. And there is this gimmick this uh this new sponsor bit of sponsor inventory which is this extra 23rd ball uh which comes on the table uh the golden ball is that what it's been called well it's going to be gold okay yeah the go the golden ball which comes on the table when the you know when a player is cleared up basically and there's nothing left to get it doesn't give them a competitive advantage anyway so it's not really changing the fabric of the game but i think it's interesting in that clearly there is a level of influence in the deal making that's going on there, that is affecting how a sport looks, you know, and that would be sacrosanct in kind of conversations with lots of other kind of potential hosts or, or sponsors. And snooker, particularly, I don't see a lot of change in that sport over the last sort of 10 or 20 years in terms of how it looks, how it feels. So it's interesting to me that Saudi are able to change the fabric of sports and also are happy to bring sports that don't necessarily have any kind of big history or heritage in that region. I do you disagree? I I don't think this golden ball or, or what the Riyadh season yeah, it's ball. Yeah, the Riyadh season ball, yeah. I'm not sure it's that much different in terms of a format change to something like the 100 or F1 sprint races, these things are always evolving. And yes, you can argue about, is it a gimmick? Is it a bit tacky? Yes, it probably is. Fundamentally, it's, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's too much different from any of the innovations and changes of formats that we've seen in, in other sports. I think a lot of people have been getting very irate about it and uh, have strong feelings about it as much as you ever can about snooker, I suppose. Mm. Um, I think possibly what's more interesting about this deal is that there's been this long-standing pressure being applied on Sheffield, which mm -hmm. for so long has been the host of the World Championships at uh, a very historic but very tiny uh, Crucible Theatre venue. And Barry Hearn is persistently... Yeah, Barry likes suggesting it's going to China. Well, he's suggesting it goes to China. He's strongly suggesting that Sheffield invest in a new 4,000-seater snooker arena. And I do think this is probably helpful in that regard as a sort of extra lever of pressure mm. in that uh, I think this, is, this event does have world in its title. Um, so I think there's, there's probably that element of it as well, um, which from a snooker perspective could be quite interesting looking at, uh, looking at the future. I'm not... 
I'm not getting too worked up about this I don't I don't know why snooker hosts don't insist on writing Riyadh for example just across the across the table like they do in tennis you know the snooker tournament looks exactly the same no matter where it's being played that's not a bad it's not a bad shout Mm. although I think People, it's the bays, isn't it? It's the bays. People yeah. would people would argue about the quality of the bays, probably. Fiona, have you had time to uh, give your thought? Did you, have you got exercised by the change to the the fabric of snooker here? I can't say I've given it a lot of thought. No, but to your point, just more broadly on the Saudi piece, it just shows the breadth of uh, sports that PIF are looking to be involved in, and. I think along with that, you know, we're, we're seeing it everywhere. It's, it's, there's no stopping them. It's all part of the strategy to realize Vision 2030. And I think along with it, you always see a theme of positive dis- disruption yeah. or something that is innovative in terms of that different formats, changing formats, mm-hmm. different inventory for their partners, uh, something that's going to make the world continue to talk about them. It prods into perhaps the traditional sports like we've seen in golf to wake up a little bit and think, actually, we haven't changed, diversified for many years. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. We should all be looking at the future, the next generation, and how to keep sport interesting for the fan base at the end of the day. So I think it's just another example, isn't it, of many that are being announced almost weekly, Mm -hmm. as we've seen um, with a couple of others recently. Are you finding with your, um, I guess, many relationships in Saudi Arabia, right? Ladies European Tour plays there. Aramco is a big sponsor of the tour. Um, are you finding that the sort of airspace and the time that you get with your partners out there is being squeezed a bit as they're looking elsewhere in the sports industry? When you say partners... Are are you able to... Do you feel like the full focus of their kind of partnership? I see, sorry. Yes. Um, No, I think actually, so our key partner is Golf Saudi, who um, obviously the Golf Federation out there who uh, sanctions our events... And through that relationship, PIF and Aramco are on board as presenting and title partners. So we have, uh, you know, really positive ongoing relationship with Golf Saudi, planning all our events, obviously, for this year and beyond. Um, and I think they realise how important um, not just golf is, but obviously female golf mm. and how they really need to activate around that for their partners. So if you take Aramco, for example, they've, you know, they've got the big media buy around Formula One and other sports. But from a, a LET point of view, certainly, it's very much about that female empowerment piece, um, being an enabler uh, and helping to ensure that women within the kingdom are very much inspired by and allowed into golf courses, clinics, grassroots opportunities for children within schools mm. the, some of the stats are incredible around how you know how many children have a golf uh, own a golf club and um how they really want to make sure that all sport becomes accessible for women and girls mm-hmm. so i would say that we do you know it's busy delivering events busy on tour they they run a whole host of sporting uh events within the kingdom but i think they've got the strategic partners in place to help uh, make sure that there, there's real depth to those partnerships, and it's not just a tick box or you know a quick activation here or there. There is there's a long term plan behind it. Mm. Could be a good government slogan that could it? You couldn't you know Saudi where every other child owns a golf club. <laughs> I need to find out. <laughs> needs, <laughs> needs a bit of workshopping, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
shall, shall we shall we talk about Netflix briefly? Yes, uh, we we must really. This this is gigantic news, right? Five billion dollars north of uh, for a ten year agreement with WWE. They've been um, defiant, then they've been cagey, then they've been flirtatious, mm-hmm. and now finally they are into live sport. Although some people would say WWE is that sport. Yes, it is. Um, this is a gigantic deal and it's going to have lots and lots of consequences. Am I right, Dave? Yes, this is going to be talked about and analysed for some time uh, to come. We have Stay off LinkedIn. That's your, yeah, that's your that's advice. My, that was my instant mm. feeling when I saw this news. Uh, there's going to be a lot of hot takes on this uh, because this is genuinely momentous news, I think, for the whole sports industry and actually for the whole media industry, sort of both sectors. And of course, there's a lot of overlap between them. I've been talking about this for about a decade. You know, when will Netflix finally take the plunge in a serious way into live sport? You talked about the flirtation uh, recently. Um, there was that Chris Rock comedy set last year. I think they've done a couple of award shows. There's a tennis exhibition in Las Vegas coming in March. Um, they did the they golf also say the Netflix Cup, the yep. golf F1 crossover, which was ostensibly to promote Drive to Survive and uh, the golf one which is called full swing yeah and here we are so um kudos to everybody involved in this um it's uh obviously worth saying that this is uh you know certainly the most high profile deal we have seen in the short life of tko uh, holdings which is the uh, the group that is owned by endeavor which now houses wwe and ufc yeah uh, so good work uh from everybody involved this all begins in january and there's, of course, the Netflix angle, King of the Streamers. Um, they're obviously, as a lot of the streamers are about to, well, have moved into this sort of ad tier phase of their of their life. Uh, from WWE's point of view, I think this is, uh, again, sort of further proof, James, of um, a really bold approach to media strategy. They've always been uh, sort of... Um in the front kind of wave of innovation when it comes to chopping up and distributing their rights. You know, they've got a history of going big and going bold with changes of direction, really. And of all the large sports rights holders, they were the first ones to jump fully into D2C. It wasn't too long. I mean, it must have been six, seven years ago that they did that WWE network. It was 2014, actually. Ten, let's say 10. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then pivot away from that um, to uh, another massive deal with NBC. 2021, uh, an exclusive streaming deal with Peacock. That reported at the time to be worth over $1 billion. And at the time, Steph McMahon, then the chief brand officer at WWE, uh, was quoted as saying, at the end of the day, we're not a technology company and shouldn't try to be. We are a content company at our core and we want to do what we do best. Uh, and here we are. The next yep. phase of their uh, their media rights strategy comes to life today. Yeah, and uh, they are the ones that have managed to tempt Netflix into the game. Some names to um, keep an eye on now that Netflix are properly into sport. Obviously, we all know about Ted Sarandos. Um, but the chief content officer who is quoted um, in the release for this deal, Bella Baharia, uh, one to watch and one to tap up for a budget in the future, I would suggest. Uh, also, the Netflix um, sports team, who have been there for a little while, um, led by um, Gabe Spitzer, 
um, Jenna Anthony there as well, um, Brandon Reek, and good friend of ours at Leaders, um, Bradley Edwards there as well. They've been uh, squirreling away um, under the radar for some time and actually lobbying internally for this sort of thing to happen. So um, kudos to them for making it happen. Indeed. And uh, perhaps more on that next week as uh, the news sort of settles and filters through the industry. Fiona, let's uh, talk to you a little bit more in depth about the the ladies' European tour and uh, I suppose women's golf in general. Give us your sort of current optimism, pessimism levels for women's golf and golf in general as we kick off 2024 and you've got your season looming. Yes. So optimism wise, obviously, I think, you know, more broadly in women's sports, there's a lot of conversation, interest, investment going on. Golf is probably a little far behind in terms of um, the focus and the bigger opportunity. But I think it can only be a good thing that women's sport is where it's at. Uh, prize money, which we've just talked about, a number of tournaments are gradually either sustaining themselves at a really good level after the bumpy ride of COVID um, or, you know, climbing higher. We've just announced yesterday another million dollar uh, prize purse for La Sea in Spain. So I think that takes us to six LET events that have hit that million dollar prize purse, which is really important to us. And, and uh, you know, we are a player led organization at our, at our core. And it's all about how we create those playing opportunities for the members and continue to drive those purses up to make sure it's a sustainable career option because it's pretty tough out there covering those costs on tour. Um, I think the support generally for fem female athletes in terms of um, sports science, uh, you know, medical services, the research and development that is going into the women's game, women's health, whether that be to do with um, female health, perimenopause and so on, or the um, injury side of things and, and fitness and how women train versus men, as we've mm -hmm. seen in the uh, in football yeah. and all the ACL injuries. So there's a lot of interest in that space. We launched our Performance Institute last year, and we're hoping to kind of appeal to brands to come on that journey with us to invest in player services and, and that R&D space. Um, and then, as I mentioned briefly before, we've got an Olympic Games whereby LEC players will be involved and another Solheim Cup stateside this time. So lots of optimism generally. Um, I'd like to say challenges rather than pessimism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Many challenges. I think, you know, golf is, it is a small sport. Uh, it's a tough sell. Uh, but I think we all are slightly watching and waiting to see what's going to happen in the men's game with this yeah. new co-strategic partnership, all the conversations that are going on, because there will be an impact on the women's game, whether that's aggregation of rights, whether the PGA and LPGA relationship evolves and then our relationship evolves. So I think it's there's plenty of optimism. We just need a bit more clarity to realise, you know, our next steps and longer term vision, really. And you're talking, or I hope you are, to a lot of brands on a presumably fairly regular basis. What are you hearing from them, either current partners or prospective partners? What are they saying and feeling about this era of golf that we're living in, which is, uh, you know, at best a little confused? Yes. So from a, from an LET point of view and the LPGA, you know, female golf is on a steady, strong trajectory in terms of growth, appetite, visibility, 
and it's a safe space, I think. It's a great value proposition. It still offers that USP of being that B2B sport. I don't think that's ever going to change. And I think people realize when they go to these tournaments and when they see live broadcast, how good these players actually are. And I think slightly more relatable, both from a a playing point of view to anyone who, who participates in golf, but similar to other female athletes, you know, they are more approachable. Um, some of the conversations are a little bit more meaningful than perhaps some of the robotic conversations around male athletes. So brands are definitely very engaged. Uh, certainly last year, for me, the huge focus was on renewals of our existing partners. Almost 90% were up for renewal. And uh, I think all have, have renewed at a, a decent uplift. And we're trying to get them even more engaged in activating and talking about women's golf. So certainly positive with current relationships. I haven't delved deeply enough, to be honest, into building out what our proposition is for the big title partner, um, the big sort of naming rights opportunity that is going to be a key focus for this year. But I do try and immerse myself into the industry through talking to agencies, obviously other brands within golf, whether it's through the men's game, grassroots, RNA, and uh, absolutely, you know, uh, as well as the prize funds going up, the rights fees seem to be going up. Mm. And I would say there's there's a strong appetite and that can only get better, I would hope. Mm. There's In the men's game, there is all this sort of confusion and stasis and frustration at the moment. We talk to all sorts of people in and around men's golf and they honestly don't know what's going on in terms of Live or this other entity in the US that's coming in to kind of back this new co. It seems like people who are in decision-making positions and should know what's going on are just leaving. Keith Pelley's left uh, the DP World Tour uh, recently. People who should be in decision-making positions have honestly got no idea what is going on and which way it's going to go. It's so frustrating. And we know that kind of external stakeholders, sponsors, would-be sponsors, broadcasters, etc., are asking people within men's golf, what is going on? You know, where is this going and what is going on? On the, it, it, hopefully a lot more straightforward on on the women's side. But are you, are you also getting questions like that? You know, you must have sort of partners coming to you and saying, "What, what the hell's going on in golf?" And are you feeling the benefit of having a bit more consistency and clarity in terms of your proposition, your offering? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I can't offer anything else other than that. Everyone's confused. No one knows really yeah. what's going on. A very small group of people are obviously involved in these conversations and. I think probably the 31st of December deadline last year for the new framework around UCO or whatever this new entity would be was ambitious. Mm-hmm. I think Keith Pelly moving on to a great new opportunity, actually with continuity through Guy Kinnings taking over, he'll have all the context. So that shouldn't hold anything up. Mm-hmm. Who know? You know, there is, there is there is no news. There's not even a roadmap for we will be announcing phase one of X new partnership in quarter one. So I think there's definitely increasing frustration, but almost acceptance. We're getting to that point where it's business as usual. The tours are carrying on. Yeah. Schedules are still looking really strong. But at the end, everybody needs to know what the outcome is going to be so they can then look to the future and know our schedule is going to change. What's our longer term vision coexisting together with live golf in the mix and so on. In the women's game, I think, yes, we're a lot more stable. But we're in that conversation because we are global golf and because we do have a relationship with Golf Saudi. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's always rumors about, oh, will women's live come along, which 
for now. I really don't think anyone's got the time to even start thinking about that before everything's worked through on the men's side of things. But certainly, I think absolutely that there's it's unprecedented times in golf and it's all ticked along quite smoothly up until the last 18 months. And that level of confusion, frustration, uncertainty does take its toll, I think. But certainly on the women's side, we haven't seen too much of an impact Mm. from a negative point of view. Bring us up to speed with the relationship between the LET and the LPGA. So there was a, a joint venture um, that was announced, I think, in 2020. Tell us about where that's at, how that relationship is evolving. Yeah, sure. So exactly that early 2020, a joint venture partnership was put in place by former commissioner Mike Wan, who could recognise that the LET needed some wider support. You know, we're a very small organisation slogging it out to get these playing opportunities onto the tour and support our members first and foremost with little time to do much else and to grow. So I think there was, and luckily this landed just before COVID because that was, you know, very challenging times for the world, but sports, properties and so on. So it started as a joint venture partnership, which essentially signaled that, you know, the LET, LPGA are key stakeholders in the global uh, female golf world, I think for the LET to be under its wing and ha- be part of that bigger ecosystem for not only the members of staff, the players, we lean on their resources fairly heavily, whether that be uh, legal counsel, uh, HR support, feeling part of that wider community um, around how the future of golf uh, may be and having a having skin in the game when we're talking strategically about what's next. Could we aggregate rights? Could we start a JV production, house production company and so on? So that's generally, we run, our, run and operate our own tours separately. The other positives of working together means that, you know, we can look at the schedule and think, where can we avoid big clashes? Not only from a broadcast point of view, but from allowing our players releases to play across both tours as much as possible. Um, and, you know, longer term, I think looking at how we bring about new models for tournament, you know, tournament structure, um, broadcast rights, OTT, and you know we're part we're partners in operating the Solheim Cup, and mm. I think that can really go to the next level over the next few years. So making sure that we have a cohesive strategy across yeah. both the tours is important. So it's all very ongoing, positive. Yeah. How much time do you have in your role? Obviously, sort of commercial director, chief revenue getter um, for the Ladies European Tour. How much time do you have for that kind of long term strategic thinking, the fun stuff? Right, what can we do? with the structure of our tournaments, with the partnerships that we have to, you know, make a big difference, make some change. Like, and, and yeah, yeah well, how much time do you get to yeah, do Yeah, so to date, not a lot at all. You know, I'm <laughs> still relatively new in the role in yeah. that it's around 15 months. So the first three months, you're just literally learning, high, yeah. learning yeah. settling in. And then you do a year, year on tour, essentially. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, last year was incredibly busy, not only with the European Solheim and all the renewals, we did the media rights RFP and building up that network of stakeholders, learning what battles to fight, the priorities, the opportunities. I I love doing the sitting back and thinking and the strategic piece and Mm. what's our vision and who do we need to buy into that and get on the journey. So this year, I think I will have more time. I need to make more time to do that because... Mm. I think there's been a little bit of limbo to date with either COVID joint venture partnership, but and now we have an opportunity to do the the bigger thinking. Mm-hmm. So 
it's the same with you know listening to podcasts and reading industry news. I'd yeah, love to yeah. have more time, but I'm pretty time poor. Yeah. I do yeah. my best, but, but yeah. Practically, where do you put that time in though? But, I mean, you you the European tour, Ladies European tour, is a global tour. I often think the people who work for Ladies European tour, DP World tour, ATP, WTA. Formula One to an extent, like these are the most travel intensive, mm. probably time intensive sports jobs that you can have. I mean, you must be flying all the time, right? Sure, you can do your strategic thinking in the sky. Well, yes. Yeah, so yeah. I don't Genuinely sit back and watch. No, it's yeah. actually that. <laughs> yeah. I um, I have to say, I underestimated how much travel there would be, right. which is not a negative thing, just with the juggle at home and so on. But yeah. it's been great. It's really energizing. I love the global remits. But as you say, you're once that season starts, you're on this flat out treadmill and all sports are busy. You know, my background is more in football and it's the calendar's relentless and you plan your life around it. And we all love it to a point. Um, but I will welcome a flight for some headspace mm -hmm. and to listen to podcasts mm -hmm. and to read presentations, documents that I just don't get a chance to read day to day. And then I can absorb it and think about it, write some notes so I've got three trips on the bounce coming up. So that's when I can get thinking. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, B2B, you know, golf is best in class for B2B sponsorship in your view. Um, I'd say cycling is getting there, but golf is definitely established. So what do you, how do you talk to partners about the B2B opportunity? What do they want? Yeah. So I think they, not only is it fairly obvious that the golfing environment is largely made up of affluent older people mm -hmm. currently has been um all that kind of driven youth as a couple of people have described it as and that it's the the sport that you don't drop into for a 90 minute match in one one location with a bit of hospitality you know you've often got a pro-am opportunity which is four or five hours yes. where you are very focused on that time with someone that you, you know you might have been trying to get a meeting for for months and you've suddenly got them do you divided, undivided do you attention do the program how, how does it work with you yeah you, so um we and, and talking about that yeah. you know time intensiveness around golf yeah this is not just a day or two this is eight eight to ten days before the production company's arriving the ops team's arriving and you're setting up the course and the player hotel for two days of practice rounds uh -huh. then you go into your pro-am day uh -huh. of which let for, for our partners we have spaces there the um, sanctioning tournament promoter has spaces and we then have four days of live golf mm. so it's it's eight to ten days and then you straight to the you're straight onto the next location but actually you've you've got the opportunity to have a day of pro-am a, a thank a uh, prize giving in the evening you've got four days of hospitality on offer walking and talking around the course meeting the players so i think it's just it's it's an amazing opportunity to yeah. have a captive audience yeah. the b2b space introducing our partners to other brands who are involved in tournaments in various markets so you can really carve out you know where are your key markets where do you want to break into mm -hmm. um there's, and there's so much schmoozing involved the, as well in golf. There's so much, as you just mentioned, like sort of four days of yes of being at tournaments. If you yeah, you, if you want to be, I try and be mega efficient. I'm, and sure, I'm in and I'm out, sure. do my schmoozing, gone. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, there is that's the word. It was Bernie Ecclestone <laughs> always used to leave F1 races before the race started to beat the traffic, so he'd get out of there on Sunday morning because he's there because he's done his work, he's yeah. done his yeah. business, and well, every, everybody else is concentrating on the race, and he's yeah. back. At yeah, home. I have to say, I tend to go in on the Tuesday, Pro Am Wednesday. A day of the golf Thursday and then, then you're, out then again. You're done. 
and thinking about the next one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fairly unique in that respect. Give us one prediction, Fiona, for golf, the Perfect. business of golf in 2024. Well, I've been thinking about this okay. since the heads we'll up. Po- we'll pop it in last an envelope. Night, yeah. you know, until midnight last <laughs> night. It can only be that the men's game finally sort out what they're doing. Yeah. You think it's going to be I hope, easier? you know, we can't be starting 2025 in the same situation. So I feel like this year we're going to know what's happening. Well, fingers crossed, eh? Fingers crossed mm-hmm. on that. Absolutely. Um, let's dig in. Let's let's round this off, Fiona, with um, you thinking back to maybe your last flight where you did get a bit of downtime <laughs> uh, and you were able to listen to a podcast or read a book. What um, We always like to round out the podcast with sort of recommendations for not necessarily sports stuff, but maybe sports adjacent stuff. What have you been listening to, watching, reading recently that you have enjoyed? It's a good question. I t- tend to binge read on an annual summer holiday. Yeah. Apart from that, it's very much grabbing a podcast or two. Yeah. Um, reading sport business daily bulletins. Yes. Obviously, love the leaders podcast. A couple of others, but I think also you know you mentioned Netflix earlier. They're pretty good at a sports documentary. Yeah. Um, and therefore, maybe it's no surprise they've now taken the leap of faith into buying up rights. I am looking forward to part two of Breakpoint, which is due to land imminently, I believe, yeah. if it hasn't already. And um, I think it's just out, yeah. I think it is just out. I really enjoyed the first one, actually, because I, I kind of grew up watching all sports, but tennis was a big one. And it has been that old guard of the top yeah. four players for so long yeah. that it was really nice to learn about the newer, younger personalities and the, the male-female um coverage in that was great so looking forward to that there's the six nation ones that that's earmarked yes um i binge watched the crown the latest season do you know what in the last week before the travel starts the crown is beautiful it used to be good and now it's just beautiful i think like it's just gorgeous clothes and just yeah i've really enjoyed it yeah so that's the non-sports content yeah recently and uh very yeah. diplomatic of you not to mention the names of other podcasts as well. Very good. Absolutely. That's where your schmoozing practice is coming <laughs> from. David, what have you got for us this week? Well, I'm going to mention another podcast, okay. um, which is, uh, I'm in a little bit of a Rory Sutherland phase, um, Fiona. So I'm... Uh, I'm Behavioural psychologist, is he? Yes. Um, and quite a good self-promoter. And he's got this podcast that he does uh, with Al. Uh, the advertising people Elf. Uh, called uh, Al, right. called On Brand, and I've been listening to. It's a sort of monthly interview show with Rory Sutherland, asking the questions of prominent marketers or marketers from interesting businesses. Uh, and I listened to one with a woman called Milka Provodanova, who's vice president and head of EMEA at uh, Pinterest. You went for it. You I are, went for it yes. and I nailed it. Yeah. And uh, Pinterest is, are you, are you a, what do they say? Pinner? Pinner? Do you pin stuff on Pinterest? Do you use the Pinterest app, Fiona? Is what David's trying <laughs> to say. Have you got that Occasionally. App? Yeah. I try not to, again, lose time mm. on various I've, social platforms, yeah. but I do like Pinterest. Yeah. It's, it's not an app I'm too... I've been using it recently. Have I'm you? ashamed to say. To pi- what are you for pinning, a mood, For a mood board. A mood board. Ryan Reynolds jackets <laughs> is what I've pinned. Uh, that is not the answer yeah, of I course. was expecting. Yeah. Of course. Uh, it's certain types of kitchen paint colours. Nice. I could talk to you about that. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm thinking mustard. I don't know. Maybe ochre. Maybe that. Maybe that kind of colour. Let's take yeah. that. Let's take this offline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It, anyway, it's well worth seeking out this podcast, uh, talking about the way that Pinterest uh, does advertising, does marketing, and uh, the sort of serendipity of advertising, where it's really built into the whole sort of feel of the the platform. They talk about it not as social media, but as personal media, and this idea that you are being served up adverts that are genuinely part of the the mood boards or whatever that you're mm. creating. Uh, so yes, a well worth a listen. Well, what's the name of the podcast again? In that game, it's called On Brand. On Brand, and yes. that is Rory Sutherland's new podcast. Relatively new, and he does yes an interview roughly every month with a, a prominent marketer. Yeah, um, I've got a couple of rec- recommendations well, this week. You're holding, you're I'm holding, holding a prop. I'm holding a pop a prop. It's called the. It's a book. Um, it's called The Power of Moments, and it's by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. I think they're from the same family. Uh, <laughs> co-authors. Uh, and this book was actually recommended to me by Kevin Brilliant, um, who uh, used to work for the Chicago Bulls. He's a behavioral psychologist, actually, um, and knows Rory Sutherland very well. But this book is absolutely fantastic. It is about uh, identifying what it is that makes defining moments in someone's life, in someone's day-to-day existence, and then uh, backfilling the kind of the bits that go into what makes a defining moment. And then trying to kind of manufacture those defining moments in whatever experience or product that you are or service that you're providing for people. And it's fascinating. And there are so many applicable lessons for the sports industry, particularly sports hospitality, I think. So thoroughly recommend this book. It certainly looks well thumbed. I've read it all. Mm. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, Another thing I'd recommend, Air. I watched the film Air. The the, I mean, I, I don't know how they managed to get a whole feature film out of the process (laughs) <laughs> the not the actual signing of Michael Jordan to Nike, but the sort of agonizing moments leading up to the situation in which uh, Nike signed Michael Jordan. But they did. Do you and think it was okay? Do you think they'll do a film one day about the strategic framework and how it's been I hope put so. together? Hope well, so. full swing part two should be out soon. So that's. Yeah. I hope all the microphones were in all the right places when that was filmed because that could be Who signs very... off on full swing though? There's so many like there's so many different people involved in that. Everyone signs off Everyone on it. Everyone else that's that's known. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um all right, let's draw a line under it there. Fiona Howard, thank you very much indeed for being with us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me.